listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 316. We got some rain after 47 days or something like that. It was zero rain. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Not much. No. Right. Speaking of enough, we actually started getting reviews again, which is great. If you'd like to leave us a review, it's very simple. Just go in the show notes and click on the link if you want to try to remember it. So I love the podcast.com forward slash OGTW. Leaving a review helps your peers find us. Plus, we have fun just reading them on the air. Especially when they're talking crap. <laughs> you want to read it? Uh, it's a five-star review. Just the thing. I hate waiting for Bloomberg to finally get around to talking about the oil sector just for it to be 90% fluff. Now I don't have to. Very good podcast. Thank you. <laughs> from go- college band fan from the United States. Love it. See, you can leave something that simple. That was actually a good review. Let's get into news stories. All right. First one. This is actually breaking. U.S. to cancel Alaska oil gas leases un- issued under Trump. Yeah, so this is obviously a purely political move. Nobody was planning on drilling in Alaska because it cost too much money. (laughs) And so this is the U.S. Interior Department literally today, about two hours ago, said they would cancel oil and gas leases in a federal wildlife uh, refuge. Those leases were granted by the Trump's Republican administration. One of the things that's going on here is they're taking about 40% of this refuge and they are making it illegal for anybody to do any exploration or production on it. And they're doing this to protect the native wildlife like the polar bears and the reindeer. You know me, Paige. I love wildlife. I'm not making a joke. I really do. Polar bears are their highest numbers ever. In fact, polar bear numbers are so high that the Alaska Wildlife Fisheries Service here expand the hunting so they can remove bears from the population. So I find it hard to believe that this is done to protect at least the polar bears, maybe the caribou. I don't know how well they're doing. But it's timing and the fact that nobody was drilling there anyway and the fact that administration spent enough time to make sure the media outlets covered it and the fact they did it so last minute, it's obviously a political ploy. I do feel sorry, though, for the people in Alaska, the workers out there that would have benefited when and if mm-hmm. we ever start to drill, because now it's completely off the table. Let's hope that once we get through this next election cycle, if it makes sense to drill there, that our next administration can just throw this out the window. But shame on you, current administration, for just playing politics with our country and our world's uh, energy supply. Okay, next one. Biden administration holds first ever GOM offshore wind energy auction. I think I talked about this on the last show. I love the idea. Very bullish on offshore wind energy for several reasons. One, it is more consistent than it is on land. Number two, you don't have the impacts to the environment and to the people that you have on land. Number three, it utilizes a lot of same engineering, procurement, construction as offshore platforms. So the companies we all know and love get to do extra work. And finally, I think it's great for the environment because offshore wind can be used to power offshore production and drilling platforms instead of hauling diesel to run generator sets. However, one of the things that when I dug in this last time I didn't like is that the same process to bid and win and operate an offshore wind lease is basically the same as you do for oil, except when you drill for oil and you produce, a portion of your profits goes to both the federal government and state government. And for offshore wind, that does not happen. They basically lease it and then they keep all the profits. Unsurprisingly to me, of all these offshore wind blocks that were sold, 
one. <laughs> but that's not one left. One was sold. The company called RWE Offshore was the winner of the late Charles lease with a high bid of $5.6 million. We'll see if they actually go in construction. There's a lot going on in the U.S. right now with wind energy, with the amount of inflation going on, with the fact that a lot of these wind farms were done earlier, and they're starting to reach the point in their lifespan they need planned maintenance and repair. But unfortunately, the companies that operate them have no money to do planned maintenance and repair. You get a lot of pushback by communities because they don't want them in their neighborhoods. So I really think that Large wind farms on land here in the U.S. have probably peaked and they will probably start declining. And then as they decline, there's going to be a lot of negative publicity for what to do with them. Who's going to tear them down? Who's going to put the land back to where it was? I think the same thing will happen to Europe. It just could take them 10 years to realize the same stuff that we've learned here. And also the finances don't always work. But I love the idea of doing offshore wind. It's kind of a shame that of all the blocks they had out for sale that only one of them got picked up. But you know what? That's what the economy is driving right now. We'll keep an eye on this. All right. API sues Bureau of Ocean Energy Management over Gulf of Mexico restrictions. Remember I talked this in the last show about all of a sudden the crew boats can't operate on night? Mm-hmm. And I, this is one of those things. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is that the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM, actually changed all these rules last minute, which in itself breaks the law. Sort of like bait and switch. Like, you know, you go to buy the car that you want and you get there and they don't have it. They have one that's $10,000 more. Mm-hmm. And so the right people brought them to court, which I think is great. Chevron, API, who else was it? State of Louisiana. Yeah. Brought them to court and said, you're not playing fair. You're hurting our employees. You're hurting the revenue for our state. And by changing the rules, even if we go ahead and do this, it's not going to be productive. So I got a feeling this will be overthrown really quickly. I think, unfortunately, this is a political stunt as well. And we just do not need politics on either side involved in our country and our world's energy mix. We're still in an energy shortage on this planet. The cost of everything is still prohibitively expensive because of lack of energy. And this is just one of those things where politicians seem to be so out of touch with what's going on with the real people that they don't seem to care. But it will catch up with them. Yep, sure will. What the Gavin coup means for oil markets. This is a good one. So I didn't realize that Niger had been controlled by the Bongo family, it was a tribe, since the 1960s. And basically, there's been a coup. It's been a pretty much a peaceful coup where the military has come in and basically house arrested the Bongo family, the royalty, and they're starting to try to run the country. Now, the big thing is long-term-wise, is this going to be another tribal-slash-military government, or are they going to bring in democracy? It looks like at a high level, they're talking about bringing in democracy. What would be cool about that is it'd help eliminate a lot of the corruption and the crime. It'd help eliminate the country being either only a small portion of super rich people and everybody else is poor, but it's still too early for that. The biggest thing is they're all production. They're a member of OPEC, very small member. They do, I think, 200,000 barrels a day. That oil is not threatened right now to come off the market. And even though it's a small amount, remember, the world burns 100,000 barrels a day. Remember that any fluctuation in perceived output by any of the OPEC nations will drive the prices up. So interesting to keep an eye on this. It's been a while since the world's had a coup with any of the OPEC nations. Like I said, this one's so small that I don't think the rest of OPEC's actually try to dig in and tilt the balance one way or the other. And then once again, it's been a peaceful coup. So let's hope that military doesn't, fighting doesn't break out and it turns to chaos, which it very well could do. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this one as well. Okay. India cuts windfall tax on petroleum crude. 
Good for you, India. So like a lot of the other countries, when the oil and gas companies made a lot of money because the world moved to renewables too quickly and there was no choice, India's government decided to place a windfall tax, which is ridiculous. You take any industry, it doesn't have to be oil and gas. It could be, look at technology. You know, they boomed during the pandemic. They boomed right after the pandemic. Nobody tried to place a windfall tax on them. But India's deciding to cut the windfall tax back on, the article says petroleum crude. That's not actually right. They're going to actually cut the tax on gasoline refined from crude. They're keeping the windfall tax on diesel. They're keeping the windfall tax on aviation fuel. And they're keeping the windfall tax on crude, crude oil, but they're cutting it on gasoline. That's going to help the people of India. India is one of the countries that does not subsidize gasoline prices for its uh, consumers. There's a lot of countries in the world, you may not know this, but if you go to like Colombia and you realize, want to know why the gasoline's eight cents a gallon, that's because the government subsidized it to make it cheaper for the world, their country's people to get around, right? Mm-hmm. To be employed right. and everything else. India is not one of those countries that does that. I like the fact they're dropping on gasoline first. I suspect in the next, say, six months, they'll drop it on diesel next and finally aviation fuel. It's time for the windfall taxes to go away. Yep. You've been screaming about that for quite a while now. Never. <laughs> Okay, Russia's oil and gas revenues slumped by 38% in January through August. We knew that what was going on with the sanctions was hurting Russia. Russia's almost entire economy is run on oil. They've lost almost 40% in over six months in revenue. If you're not old enough to remember this in the 80s, this is sort of the same thing that happened to the former Soviet Union, where our President Reagan, along with the prime rents of Saudi Arabia, decided to bankrupt Russia by intentionally flooding the market with crude and it worked. We literally drove the only other superpower in the world at the time literally drove them out of business. Mm -hmm. The problem with this now is I think Putin's in a very interesting place where he doesn't have the full support of his country, which he's always had since he's been in office. You know, you saw Wagner, who was the leader of the mercenary group, air quote, die in an air crash yeah, uh, all of a, sudden. a week ago. Seems like everybody that opposes Putin one way or the other somehow, air quote, dies. Yeah, mysteriously. they get Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> you better not get Clinton. You better be careful with that. Anyway, what I'm worried about here is with this lack of income, Russian economy is not doing very well. That means that people are paying more for stuff. They're going through inflation. Right. Like we are here. But unlike here and in Europe, they can't get certain things, right? Yeah. It's one thing when you have to pay more for your milk, right? Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you can't get milk for your kids. Right. And I'm worried about civil disrest starting to build up. In a country that is enormous, that still has division from before the former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. cultures in Russia that don't like each other because a long time ago, the Soviet Union made them work together and push them together. And what we don't need is Russia to fall into civil war. You talk about drive the price of crude to $200 a barrel and cause a lot of unrest. I don't think it's there yet, but this is one of those, if you had a checkbox of what would drive Russia to a civil war, this would be one of the checkboxes in the fact that their revenue has dropped this much. Yeah. Once again, we got to make sure we keep eye on this as well. Okay, Marathon preparing to restart Garyville, Louisiana units. Yay, Marathon. So if you don't know what happened, they had a couple of big storage tanks filled with naphtha, which is highly volatile, highly flammable, basically caught fire. They controlled the fire. They put it out. Fortunately, nobody died. They had a couple of small injuries. Marathon has went through the process of checking anything and everything to make sure everything's ready to start up. And they're going to fire this refinery right back up. Right now here in the U.S., one of the reasons that 
gasoline and diesel prices are so high is there's not enough refining capacity. And our country's refineries have literally been running wide open since after the pandemic. So this Garfield, Louisiana units could come back up, which should allow more products to be refined, which is just as good for everybody. And I'm really happy that nobody got seriously hurt or died during that fire. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Big Oil's Empty Green Promises. All right. So the reason I want to talk about this is this is the exact same. It's not the exact same article, but it's the article on the exact same premise that we talked about on the last show where Greenpeace sponsored a study that I'm sure is not biased whatsoever, saying that the big oil and gas companies are talking about moving to a low carbon renewable future, but aren't really doing anything. And that's what I called hypocrites on Greenpeace, because Mm -hmm. I want to know how much money you're spending on Bunker C, which is one of the nastiest polluting fuels out there, how much money you're spending on diesel, how much money you're spending on gasoline, how much money you're spending on paint and sails and nylon rope to run your fleet, to fight the industry that provides all this stuff to run your fleet. We'll probably never find that out. Of course Um, not. But the thing that bothers me is this article is not a pro-environmental magazine. This isn't oilprice.com. Yeah. Felicity Bradstock wrote this article. Felicity, the way you wrote this article, quite frankly, is anti-oil and gas. Anytime you use the word big oil in an article, you know the political connotations there. Oil price, I'm calling you out. Why is this in here? You could have written this article showing the numbers and showing, yes, that BP and Chevron and Exxon Shell are not spending the amount of money that Greenpeace would like them to. But instead of calling them out on it, why don't you show what they've actually done? And at the same time, why don't you ask Greenpeace about the amount of money they spend with the oil and gas industry? This article should have been written completely different. The way this thing is, even the last sentence here, further, most oil and gas companies appear to be spending a vast amount of their money on fossil fuel operations, including low-carbon oil projects with little contribution to green energy products from Felicity for oilprice.com. This shouldn't be in here, oil price. This is a biased article, not based upon facts. And, you know, like I said, Greenpeace, you're a hypocrite. That's why they don't want to return anybody's calls or any of that mess. All right, on to the next. Australian LNG workers serve Chevron notice of two-week stripe from mid-September. Yeah, this is going to be a lesson in high-level negotiations. So basically, the LNG production facilities that are in Australia that Chevron built is making good money after they lost money for I don't know how many, a decade, right? They're making good money because there's a world demand for natural gas, which LNG is one of the best ways to provide that is because you can move it. Chevron must have a crystal ball because when they started building all this, the Gorgon project, everything in Australia, I thought they were crazy. Like, what the hell are you doing out Mm -hmm. there? I had no idea that the Asian Pacific market and appetite for LNG would go up so high so quickly. So Chevron either had a lucky guess or they have a crystal ball or something, a time machine or whatever. Anyway, so got two weeks before everybody goes on strike. We have seven days and the workers for these facilities are going to take a half a day off. So it's an interruption. And then a week later on the, I think the 14th, they're going to actually do a full day strike. So Chevron has just a couple of days to negotiate a deal and avert this disruption. And Chevron has not delayed or notified anybody that there will be delays on LNG shipments. So what do you do? You try to negotiate the best deal that you can. Now, the workers are asking for more money because of how much money Chevron's making. Uh... The problem I have with that is then the workers should pay 
when Chevron loses money. Right? Mm-hmm. That's only fair. Chevron, on the other hand, needs these workers to run this plant because right now they can make money hand over fist to help pay back the billions of dollars they invested in this. How do you negotiate through that? It's going to be interesting to see what I suspect is going to happen. Hopefully, I don't give away any Chevron strategy, which, by the way, I don't know. They don't call me and ask my you know opinion list. However, if I was Chevron right now, I think I would give into their concessions, but I would put a very short time frame on it. And then I would tie that to the price of LNG. It's like, yes, we'll pay you more for a year. However, you have to agree that if the price of LNG doesn't go up and goes down, we get to negotiate these rates still here. I think that would be a good win-win, allow Chevron to make the money while they can, allow the employees to keep working. They don't want to go on strike either. And at the same time, labor cost is so high, it would be a fair way to deal with the differences in opinion on how much they should be paid. Does it say how many employees are doing that? Shred- are going to go strike? strike? Yeah. It's a couple thousand people that work there okay. all together. The thing I don't know is the rules about unions in Australia. If actually, if somebody's listening, are unions legal in Australia? And yeah. if they are, do they work the same way that they work here in the U.S. or in Europe? And by the way, they work differently here in the U.S. than they do in right. Europe. Right, yeah. Remember I told you earlier, one of the problems in Australia with the oil and gas industry is they can't hire enough local Australians. And there's rules saying that certain facilities have to have so many local content Australian workers. That makes sense, yeah. So that gives the workers here, the Australian native workers, more leverage. That However, makes sense. if I was Chevron, I'd be lobbying the hell of Australian government to change that rule so I could bring in workers from outside of Australia, which then would kind of make things a little more fair. Yeah, they're pretty strict over there. I don't know if lobbying would do much, but... This type of negotiations is some probably the highest, most complex negotiations you can do, not to mention the different number of personalities mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. I'm sure the negotiators on the other side, on the Chevron worker side, are probably just as good as the Chev- negotiators on the Chevron side. I actually probably paid money to sit in that room and listen to them do this just to learn. Yeah. Okay. Deep water technology, manifold destiny, a new blueprint for the energy trilemma. Uh, okay, World Oil. <laughs> you had me. I read three quarters of this before I realized this is really an advertisement for Baker Hughes. But it's a good article to read to understand. So offshore, you may not know this, you don't just drill a well. You have all this stuff you have to connect to move what comes out of the well, to separate the oil and sand in the water, to either get it back to the shore, to get it topside, whatever. So you have these manifolds and plets and separation devices and blowout preventers and trees, and they all work together. And they have to work in some of the most hostile environments you can imagine on the bottom of the ocean floor where it's freezing cold, but you're dealing with you know liquids that are two or 300 degrees Fahrenheit. There's corrosion issues, crazy captains not paying attention where they drop boat anchors. And so what they're talking about in this article is they think moving forward, you can see more and more conventional offshore oil being produced, which I agree with. And one of the problems is the cost of all the parts and pieces that go in the subsea world, which is very true. A lot of that is driven by the differences in culture. So I can take a field in this exact same field and say off of Mozambique. And I can have Exxon operating there, and Exxon's own subsea engineers will design all that stuff I just talked about, plets, manifold, pipelines, blowout preventers, trees, and then go to somebody like Technip FMC or Cameron and say, build this for me. Here's the specs. 
Anna Darko. Well, not Anna Darko anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, wow. Yeah. Wow. But Oxy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in that same field, will then go to those same companies, Cameron or Titan EFMC, and go, here's the wells that we're drilling. You tell me what we need. Two totally different approaches. And what that does means, what that happens, what that drives is that you end up with two different manifolds or two different trees for the same field with the same operating conditions because one was designed by a subsea manufacturing company and one was designed by an ExxonMobil subsea engineer. Mm -hmm. That drives cost. And for as long as I've been in this industry, everybody has talked about the standardization of offshore parts and pieces to lower costs and nobody's actually done it. And what they're doing here is Baker is actually taking their manifolds and standardizing parts of their manifolds, almost think of it as components. Mm -hmm. So even though it's not a standard manifold, you can quickly take standard components and bolt it together in a custom configurable situation, right? So I think the idea is great, but come on, World Oral, when you – obviously, Baker paid for this. And when that happens, somewhere in the very beginning, you should say this is an advertisement. I, like I said, whoever wrote this – I wonder if it was AI, actually. Whoever Could wrote this did a really good job of not letting me know that this was a product advertisement. So I got to the Well, I'm glad very, you caught onto it because I didn't. Yeah, so I got to the very, very, very end. So actually, if this was AI – world oil. I would love to know what AI wrote this because this is a really good job. And by the way, I'm not throwing any shade on Baker Hughes. They do some wonderful stuff, some wonderful engineering. You know, they're world class as well. I just always think it's slightly misleading. And you see this a lot in our industry where companies will pay for an editorial in a trade magazine and you'll read it thinking the trade magazine is trying to educate you and really it's trying to sell you something because they got paid for it. It's actually one of the things here at OGG and we refuse to do. It goes against all of our journalistic integrity. We have sponsors and we have people pay for ads, but we do not let people pay and come on our shows. We just don't do it. We just think it's wrong. Oh no, especially mine. I have those well, people. Any, any yeah, of our shows. I know. Yeah. Actually, with all that said, total transparency. It got so bad that we actually designed a show just for those people that wanted to pay to come yeah, on. And that's our pitch, pitch podcast. podcast. <laughs> and so, but up front, we tell you, this is salespeople coming on to pitch their products or services. And actually, the funny thing about that page is about 70% of the guests that come on our pitch podcast have prospects reach out to them. Oh, that's good. Isn't that crazy? Well, it's I good. can't I think that was the to, point, right? Yeah, we're open and honest about it. We don't try to hide it. Right. All What's right. Next? next up is Western Midstream expands Powder River Basin presence through Meritage Midstream acquisition. Yeah. So this is basically a private pipeline company buying another private pipeline company in the Powder River Basin in Wyoming because they see a need for more pipeline capacity, which is 100% true. All of our shale plays. Ooh, you got it right. More pipeline capacity. <laughs> and the cool thing about this is that it's just for growth. There's money here. You're not going to see a lot of layoffs. You're to see the ability to have more leverage, more capital to work with, a bigger footprint. So this is one of those like feel-good stories where you start a little pipeline company for whatever reason, you grow it, and then you get to the point where you see other little pipeline companies and you buy them and mm -hmm. you make a bigger company and everybody's happy. So this is good stuff. It is. All right. Congress set to sell East Coast 1 million barrel gas cash. Okay, so Hurricane Sandy, which I think was 2012, I may be wrong about that. Hurricane Sandy shut down the ability for a lot of people to get gasoline on the Upper East Coast. When they did that, a lot of especially very wealthy people had a conniption fit that they couldn't buy gasoline at the retail stations. So what Congress did 
is built a one million barrel emergency catch of gasoline for that part of the country. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the U.S. It's sort of like a strategic petroleum reserve, but much smaller. Mm -hmm. And because gasoline has a shelf life, it only really services the upper East Coast. And think about the states that have high net worth individuals. So, you know, Maine, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York. Now, my problem with this is that, number one, gasoline has a shelf life unlike crude. And please no hate mail. I do know crude has a shelf life too, but there's a big difference. Gasoline has a very short shelf life. And taxpayers are paying $13 a barrel to store this gasoline, right? Let's put that in perspective. We pay, I think, $0.25 cents a barrel to store crude in our strategic petroleum reserve. That's a big freaking so, yeah. $13 versus $0.25. Cents. And this amount of gasoline doesn't really make a difference. So that part of the East Coast burns right at 3.5 million barrels of gasoline a day, mm-hmm. right? This is a 1 million barrel catch. Ah, So you're talking about an hour mm-hmm. of gasoline yeah. storage yeah. that our tax dollars are paying for. And so what's happening here, Congress has taken notice of this and they want to sell it and close it down. Number one, freaking awesome. When's the last time you heard of our federal government's canceling any federal program? I've never, never have. I don't right? think I have either. <laughs> Number two, it just makes sense. And if the Upper East Coast is worried about gasoline supplies, which they should be because they don't have any refineries up there, why don't you build a couple more pipelines to the refineries that are further down the Gulf Coast? Like, you know, that Colonial Pipeline that got hacked and shut down half your gas stations for a day? Imagine if you had three. Hmm. Then nothing could happen, right? Very quickly, you build a pipeline, have all the gasoline you want. And guess what? With that much gasoline capacity being moved by pipeline, your price is at the gasoline retail gasoline store would go down yeah imagine that for everybody Hmm. hint hint nudge nudge (laughs) all right let's get on to the next on bridge to pay 14 billion for three u.s natural gas utilities oh this is like the very first transformers movie so let me tell you what's going on so you have the autobots (laughs) I wish people can see my eyes right now. (laughs) Which is in Bridge. And you have the Decepticons, which is Dominion Energy, although I like Dominion Energy, so maybe it was a bad analogy. So basically, Enbridge is buying Dominican Energy's natural gas utility business, right? So taking natural gas, moving it to electrical generation plants and making electricity out of it. And guess whose natural gas these plants will now use to make electricity? Hmm. In bridges. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Yep. That was a trick question. That was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> then what Dominion's going to do is they're going to take the other side of the electrical market, so not generate it, but the regulated side and the distribution, the selling of it, and take that over. So now you can have one company that owns literally the logistics and the ability to generate the product, which is electricity. Mm-hmm. And you could have another company that has the ability to distribute and sell it at retail. So I think this is really great. Two different strategies. Let's just see who wins. So Dominion must obviously think that electrical distribution and retail is going to be the winner, probably because they believe that solar and wind someplace will come and help supply a lot of electricity, right? So it makes more sense. Maybe they're thinking that natural gas will disappear. Whereas Enbridge thinks the opposite, like you can have all the retail you want. We think that's never going to be a profitable business. However, generate electricity has to be done and it will be done by natural gas for a very long time. So it's going to be a race to see which of these two companies win. And I probably should not have made the Autobots Transformers thing. Number one, post our audience may not even know who I'm talking about. But number two, I like both of these companies. They just have different strategies and they came together and pulled this thing off at the cost of $14 billion. Let's see which one of them wins in about five years. Okay. 
I guess we'll still be going in five years, huh? <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> the show will still be going on. Yeah. I hope we're still here. Right. Speaking of still here, we've had some changes. And I've had actually had quite a few people reach out to this, which is really cool. So you heard me talk about it earlier, how the oil and gas events newsletter, which came from my original company, Modal Point, will now be coming from OGGN, which it did. And I've had <laughs> – I feel bad. I've had a lot of people say this upgrade, this change has been needed to be done for a long time. And Paige, I realized I had never upgraded that email, that letter. It's been the same way. I for- think the lot – no. Actually, the last time it was updated, Savannah did it. And then nobody messed with it for a couple of years. It's been a long time. So people love the new format. But I'm not talking about the events newsletter, which is still there. There's a link in this show note to go sign up for it. We're taking all the oil and gas events that are going on, put it in the newsletter, put it in your inbox once a month for free, costs you nothing. And in that newsletter, there's often free coupons, free passes, stuff that nobody knows about. So it's very viable. However, we launched a new newsletter that is not really a newsletter. We call it the Sunday Update. It comes out every Sunday once a week. And it will have behind-the-scenes scoops on us our other podcasters, OGGN, Industry Insights that you'll get nowhere else. We are not scraping news articles and throw it in a newsletter. I don't like that. I don't think anybody else likes that. I can scrape my own news articles. Yeah. This is like real data from the industry. And we have discounts in there on everything from big game hunting to equipment that you might need to restaurants. And like I said, that one's free as well. Comes out every Sunday. The link for that one is also in our show notes. And if you go to OGGN Con right now, you're going to notice something different. Like every everything. Totally redid the website. We have a whole new advertising page. So if you're one of those people that would like to advertise with us, but you don't want to talk to a salesperson, and I don't know why you wouldn't want to talk to a salesperson, but just in case. I know every reason why you wouldn't want to talk to a salesperson. (laughs) It's self-serve, people. You can go in, find exactly what you want on what show. You fill out a really quick form online, you pay for it online, and you automatically get ads on any and every show that you want without talking to a salesperson, no contract. You control the pricing. This is little or as much as you want to spend. Plus, we have a bunch of other new stuff coming. So OGGN has stepped up. The other thing, Paige, that you don't know, because I haven't had a chance to talk to you, is last month, we had our best month in the entire history of OGGN. Oh, that's awesome. Over 50,000 downloads in one month. Wow, together, right? that's fantastic. Several of our shows. So Russell's show, HSE broke a record, highest ever. Good. Elena's for- show broke Yay. the highest ever. A little podcast that I think who runs that? It's called All Gas Industry Leaders. What did I do? I think broke a record. Oh right? my! So we're growing, and the website reflects this. We have new shows coming out. I have a new show coming you out. Pages new show coming. That's going to be freaking fun. All our shows are fun, but we have more fun stuff going. So anyway, bunch of changes. I want to explain it to this audience and. If you'd like to buy some merch, guess what we have now? We have a merch store. We have a merch store. The products are still being populated, but you can go in there and get an oil and gas this week shirt and get a sticker. And our hot sauces, which people rave about, will be in the merch store in about another two weeks. Cool. So a bunch of changes. Go check it all out. Uh, let me know. If you go to the website, let me know what you think of it. Same way with the newsletter, especially the new one, the Sunday update. If you subscribe to that, let me know what you think. Weekly rig out. United States is at 631, down one. Canada is at 187, down three. Internationally, we're at 952, down nine. Okay, that going down trend, 
I'm telling you, I'm on to something with this. I actually did a couple of interviews with some executives in the industry this morning around this exact thing. Oh, like, neat. What's going on? What are you spending money on? What do mm-hmm. you see in the future? And there's a trend coming. You got to wait for my predictions, which will be in November. But Oh, man, it's almost that time again. It is almost that time again. And by the way, all the huge oil and gas consulting companies that wait for my predictions come out, and then the next day it shows up in your paid publications. You have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> I do take it as a compliment because I don't want to spend the time to sue. While you're out there, go join our LinkedIn page. We have much more content being generated. Big hats off to our intern, Landry, who's killing it out there. I'll talk to you about the updates. Oh, uh, same way with asking a question for OGGN for First Friday Q&A. There's now a different form to fill out. Still under the same podcast, but you're going to have to grab it, find it again. It's under OGGN, or you can still go to oilandgasthisweek.com. If you like myself or any of our experts to come speak at your event, guess what? You don't have to talk to anybody. You can go to the website and pay for that as well. Cool. Same way with our industry mixers. So we've made it completely easy for you to do business with us if you don't want to talk to salespeople. And if you do want to talk to salespeople, we have the best literary in this space. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.